A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. So glad you're with me on the program today. We have got an unbelievable and infuriating uh, recidivist report for you coming up, plus an incredible self-defense story in uh, a place that many anti-gun states consider a gun-free zone, plus a a good deed of the day that uh, will warm your your heart, hopefully. Plus, we're going to be talking with Sarah Joy Albrecht in just a second. She is the founder of Hold My Guns. This is a group that I've written about at Bearing Arms before. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, it has received a lot of positive press attention lately, including uh, from the pages of the Wall Street Journal. Um, it, this is an organization that is all about helping to keep gun owners safe uh, and doing so without imposing new laws that would criminalize gun ownership, demonize gun owners. Uh, it is quite simple, actually. Uh, you know, they've got participating gun stores. So if you need to store your firearm, and maybe it's because somebody in your house is going through a challenging time, you know, mentally speaking, you're concerned about their safety. Maybe you're just going out of town for a week. Maybe you're being deployed and you don't have a place to secure your firearms. You can work with these participating FFLs. No questions asked. They don't ask why you need to temporarily store your firearms, but you can store your guns with them until you are ready to take them back. Um, this is a group that is pretty new. Hold my guns. It's only been around about five years or so. Uh, but it is growing, and I hope that this is going to be a year in which we see the number of participating FFLs double, triple, or quadruple, because this is, I think, an effort that is worth supporting not only on the part of gun stores, but on the part of gun owners as well. So with that as an introduction, um, let's kick off the conversation with Sarah Joy Albrecht of Hold My Guns. Take a look and listen. Sarah Joy, thank you so much for coming on the program. It is so good to talk with you today. Good to be here, Cam. Thank you. I'm going to warn you right ahead uh, from the outset here. I may get emotional. This is a we're going to be talking about an emotional topic, so uh, be prepared. But um, I want to ask you first of all, you know, Hold My Guns has gotten a lot of positive press recently. Um, They had the big write up. I think it was in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, focusing on a a couple of the local gun stores in Western Pennsylvania who are part of this program. Then the Wall Street Journal ran a great feature on Hold My Gun. So I have to ask, what has been the response? Have you had a response from the recent media attention that Hold My Guns has received? Yes, it it has been amazing because we've had all kinds of different people reach out for different reasons. The one that really touched me was a woman had reached out because um, her father's best friend had taken his own life. And she was hearing things from her dad that indicated that he might be thinking of taking his own life too. He felt that he had let down his friend. Um, Her father is the one who found him. Um, No one was able to get a hold of him. And so he said, I will go. And he did find him. And so, you know, just, I I have chills just thinking about that. Um, You know, I'm a range safety officer. And although I've never had a suicide on a range where um, I was present that day. I, it's something that we certainly have trained for. And I just, I know how devastating finding someone can be. And so we had an opportunity to to chat. She called me up and, and said, hey, I want to learn more about Hold My Guns. I want to learn more about firearm storage. And 
I was able to encourage her and let her know that the firearms community really cares. And as far as I know, her dad is, is still with us. And she also filled out a personal safety plan, which is something that we provide for free at holdmyguns.org and also in the, the link in our bio for all of our social media, which is holdmyguns.org. And that what she did was filled out a personal safety plan for herself and then said, dad, these are the things that would really help for me to feel secure. And I'm sharing this with you because I know that you care about me and how can I help you to feel safe and secure in this difficult time. And we talked about just how we live moment by moment and that humbly speaking, any of us could find ourselves in a difficult time. And it's just really, a, it's been a wonderful opportunity. We've, we've gotten calls like that. We've gotten calls from people interested in firearm storage for many different reasons. Hold My Guns does not just store uh, to help support gun owners when there's a mental health crisis in the home, but you know, also if they're being deployed or they're moving or or whatever. And we have had a few people reach out that are running different programs like for veterans and things like that that want to learn more so that they can help refer people to hold my guns if they need it. So it's been very positive. And Cam, I have to say I was a little bit nervous at first to get that email from the Wall Street Journal and you know asking to interview. I I'm always very cautious. I appreciate hard questions, but I'm always cautious about how our message just going to be um, how it's going to get out there and if it's going to be twisted we live in a climate like that so anyway I was excited to do it and I thought that the author Zusha he did a really good job of presenting the case and if and if for for a mission and if you notice in there he even contrasted it very sharply to red flag laws that uh, take away firearms from people without due process and I was thrilled that that was included and something that I'm seeing, I think that the Wall Street Journal and like you mentioned, the, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and some of the other more mainstream um, media outlets that have kind of caught on to what we're doing. I think what we're seeing is a trend and I hope it continues in 2024 where people are realizing that taking an approach that criminalizes gun owners instead of supporting them and providing them you know, with resources, optional resources that they can have personal agency and, and choose if they want to engage in them. I think that people are getting tired of this um, very heavy-handed gun control approach that criminalizes people. So I'm hopeful that we're going to see more trends towards people realizing that there are solutions out there that support people that do not create criminals out of gun owners. And I really hope that that we'll continue to see that trend. You know, and I, I, I agree with you. I think we are starting to see that. Um, I'll give you another example of this. Uh, and look, I mean, certainly there are plenty of examples to the contrary, right? People who still want to weaponize gun ownership. Um, and it's, well, the best way to be safe is to just not own a gun whatsoever, right? Um, but John Dietrich from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel um, ran a wrote a big. I think he spent like nine months writing this uh, a series called Behind the Gun, um, and it looks at it started to look at you know what are who who are the people dying from gun related causes in Wisconsin, and what he found very quickly was that suicide um, was taking far more lives than homicide in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. But as he's talking to gun owners and he's talking to um, you know, mental health professionals, he, he realized, okay, this, this can't be about taking the guns away, right? This has to be about who gun owners are, um, why they own firearms, and what the community is doing 
right, to to deal with these issues here in a way that, as you say, is not about criminalizing gun ownership. It's not about um, weaponizing, uh, you know, our gun ownership against us. But it is about truly it's about helping people. Um, in this yes. case, we're helping people who own guns. But, you know, look, the mental health crisis that we have in this country uh, is not just related to gun owners. Right. Suicide rates are increasing both gun involved suicides and non gun involved suicides. Um, and this is something that I talk about a lot at BarryAndArms.com. Almost every state in the nation has a shortage of mental health care workers. You've got a shortage of inpatient beds for people in crisis. This is this is an issue, and it is bigger than just, well, let's take the guns away. Let's have red flag laws. That that won't accomplish the goal here. So It actually works against clinicians, right? And I, it really – I think that the that wise clinicians are – starting to realize that if they breach clinician patient trust and they just start out by asking questions about firearms and other personal none of your business matters then their patients are not going to come back and their patients are not going to feel like they have um, personal agency and self-determination in their treatment and you know in, in a case like that if a patient doesn't feel like they are part of the team then they just kind of go through the motions but the efficacy of that treatment really diminishes and so something that I I encourage and I I say this because I was a doula for 11 years and I would help clients that, especially clients that had uh, experienced sexual trauma in the past. And so I am very familiar with medical community and being a patient advocate and thinking through all the different things that uh, my clients might've been going through and in that whole process, which is like a year from you know the time they get pregnant to postpartum to taking care of their newborn. And so I was with my clients for a while and I got to see a lot of things. But what I recognized was that if the um, providers were not thinking about the values that mattered to their patients, then that patient wasn't really going to be following the directions. And they really weren't trusting their provider very well, which is where I could come in and help a little bit and as an advocate, but I saw that firsthand. And so I am very much uh, concerned about providers that ask questions right away about firearms and other lethal means in the home. Um, but I'm also concerned when it's completely ignored and something that I think would really help for patients to make informed decisions about their care would be a scenario like, um, you know, hey, you're a factory worker, you have a repetitive motion injury because you're lifting your arm up and we're going to have to repair this uh, shoulder cuff tear. And, you know, so when you are going to have the surgery, you're going to be out of work for maybe eight weeks. You're going to have physical therapy and you, uh, um, you know, you have a dog. How are you going to walk your dog? And so I'm letting you know as a provider up front before we get into this surgery and, and the aftermath and the recovery, you know, you're probably going to be on medication that can have these side effects. Uh, you're going to be maybe without a paycheck. So let's plan ahead to make sure that you have um, you know, some pay during your leave and you might need some meals. You might need someone to walk the dog. And, and they understand that as a, as a provider, that that patient might be at more risk for a mental health crisis or suicide. And they might say like, and so we want to think through these things proactively. Do you have a plan for your firearms? If you find yourself in a state of depression. And I'm, I'm telling you this because I care about you as a provider and they don't have to, you know, lecture them. They might just say, here's a whole my guns location. Or um, as long as you have a plan, I just want to make sure up front that you understand the risk that you're, that you're taking here. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times what we see are 
providers that just start asking questions about guns as as like routine. They don't really care about the patient. They're just writing things down. It's on your permanent record. And um, and then they are, you know, it's like, okay, we're gonna do this procedure. You're gonna show up at this day. They can you a bunch of paperwork and then then you go under and then you wake up and you've got paperwork and your buddy's driving you home and you're like, what just happened to me? And there was no conversation at all about what to expect. And so I think in general, you know, kind of just kind of going back um is that that providers, they care about their patients, but they don't necessarily know how to have the conversation in a way that's respectful. And again, they don't even have to have confirmation that that gun owner has, that there that there are firearms in the home. They can just say, if you have them, here are your risks. And that way the patient has trust that that, that clinician or that, that doctor has their best interest in mind. So uh, it's really exciting to be part of that um, different, like a change of perspective. It was exciting to be part of that as a doula. And now as someone that is helping people in transitional times uh, through supporting them through firearms storage. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see. And I think this next generation of, of individuals coming up um, that they care about these things and they want to make sure that they have the right resources. And I, I think that as they push back, the old way of doing things is um, going to be questioned and hopefully we'll see some positive changes. I mean, I think we already are seeing some positive changes, but uh, you know, uh, I, 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 so do you ever get uh, Sarah joy, the, uh, the, the question or, or even just the assumption that, uh, well, you're doing this because you don't want gun control. Um, you're doing this because you're opposed to red flag laws, as opposed to you're doing this to help people. Uh, and you believe that this is a better way of doing things than red flag laws, because it seems to me like every time we see whether it's organizations like like Hold My Guns or Walk the Talk America, the gun control lobby and sadly too many politicians too just sort of dismiss this as well. You just must be uh, you know carrying water for the NRA or the National Shooting Sports Foundation, right? You're you're not really interested in addressing the problem. You're just trying to put a you know gun happy spin on things. Well, I certainly hear some of that, but, um, you know, the right to bear arms is one is that is diversely exercised. And so people from um, all different political backgrounds care about the mission of Hold My Guns. And I think that, like we were talking about a moment ago, that, you know, from from a practical perspective, a lot of people that are in the in the uh, space of trying to do something, they're realizing that legislative efforts are backfiring and that they are actually creating more obstacles for people. It was really interesting. Um, so Hold My Guns has been around. We, I started it in 2018 when we lost a friend to suicide by firearm and uh, we became an official nonprofit in 2020 that took a lot of work. Joshua Prince is our attorney and he did a great job helping us with that. But, you know, when we, when we first started, we were getting that kind of those questions from people like, well, why are you doing this? Are you really gun grabbers? Things like that. Um, and, you know, what I really want for people to understand is we do care about people so much that we want to also preserve rights. And by having a solution that is non-legislative, it empowers people to make personal choices and it supports them. So that's really what we're about. But at the end of the day, too, it does undermine legislative efforts because if a person can practice self-governance and they have the tools to do it, then there's not necessarily a need, although certainly people will try to create laws no matter what, but there's not necessarily as much of, 
I don't know, like like needs maybe not the right word, but it doesn't it doesn't justify as much because people have their own solutions. It's hard to justify creating more legislative efforts. That being said, you know, some of the recent law changes have really hurt hold my gun. So for example, in Washington state, they enacted an assault weapons ban, like whatever that means. And they unilaterally decided what an assault weapon was. And we actually, the our storage partner in Washington state had firearms in storage for a gun owner. And because the laws changed, they had to call them up and say, I'm sorry, we can't store these anymore because, you know, we're not allowed to have these in our possession. So it's um, very interesting. And I, I think, I hope that people realize that some of these, um, you know, legislative approaches actually have unintended consequences. Same thing with a magazine ban. Um, and the same thing with, you know, and I, I am looking at the case where adults ages 18 to 20 um, can, you know, lawfully purchase a firearm that affects transfer laws. If it affects transfer laws, then it affects whether or not we're able to store firearms for people. So anyway, I what we're doing in, is kind of pushing back. And there was a letter that came out from the ATF on July 24th that talked about firearm storage. And it encouraged firearm storage from FFLs, but at the same time, out of the other side of, of the mouths of the Biden administration, and we are a 501c3, but it says the Biden administration, the ATF, wants to encourage FFLs to get involved with firearm storage. And so now we have an opportunity to really push back and say, well, if you care about firearm storage, then you might reconsider some of these propositions that you're putting out, like assault weapons ban or you know loopholes that affect transfers because you can't transfer a firearm or give a firearm even to a friend to hold on to if there's um, you know some of these new laws in place. So right. we are in a unique position to challenge some of this legislation um, from a very practical way and then kind of go for the jugular to say, look, if you really care about saving lives and, you know, if the majority of firearms related deaths are suicides, then you might think twice about creating laws that um, make it uh, an obstacle to access for people. So we're excited to be pushing back on some of those things. And, and you know, and again, that's such a good way of pushing back because, hey, it's accurate, right? It's honest. There's nothing... Yeah. Hard to argue um, with. Right. You know, this, this isn't a false narrative. This really is happening. And we talk about the law of unintended consequences all the time when it comes to gun control. But honestly, that isn't even really something that I had considered um, until we had started talking about this. So, listen, I got to tell you, we're going to run out of time before I run out of questions. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to okay. try to get to the important ones. Um, first of all, if there is an FFL who's watching, who is interested in taking part and becoming a part of Hold My Guns, um, how do they contact you and what do they do? So you can go to holdmyguns.org and get in contact with us there. You can go to our social media, holdmyguns.org, and in there is a link tree that has a form for FFLs that are interested in joining. And there are many other ways to get involved, including becoming a volunteer and also becoming a sponsor for 2024. So we're really hopeful that people will get involved and, and join this um, this cool opportunity that we have. I was going to say, so that's the next question. If you're not an FFL, but you are a gun owner or you're not even a gun owner, but you care about this issue, what can we do to help hold my guns? The biggest thing that we need is support. And it is, first of all, we're, we're up against shadow bans and things like that on social media. So anytime people are sharing our posts, it really helps to get some visibility so we can reach people in need and also reach people that are interested in learning about the mission. And we are looking for 
sponsors that want to take leadership to really say, we care about gun owners, we care about the preservation of rights and the opportunity that's here and to come alongside of Hold My Guns. And unlike some of the other initiatives out there that are supported by a lot of um, you know, uh, injury prevention research, we are from, we're not, we're from within the firearms community and we care about making sure that the we don't have strings attached to research that would undermine, ultimately like turn into um, fodder for legislative efforts. And so we're very careful about who we partner with and we would love to see more engagement from a grassroots level, more sponsorship and more opportunities to really elevate our community in a positive way. Like, you know, we we're talking about a moment ago, like the publicity that we're getting in a, in a positive way. We want to bring people alongside and show the world that, you know, there's no dichotomy between liberty and being safe with firearms and having a plan. So um, so join us. And you can do that again, holdmyguns.org. I happen to have on the background today a little QR code, and that's another great place to, if people want to scan that and it goes to the link tree and they can learn more about how to get involved there. That's fantastic. Um, so, you know, and one of the things that I love about this is that, uh, you know, again, unlike a red flag law or or something of that nature where it's very top down, right? It's the, it's government directed. This is, this is bottoms up. And, and it sounds like, yes. you know, part of what you were doing here is you are, the community is out there, but it's about getting the members of that community to talk to each other about this issue, to not brush it under the rug, to not say, yeah, this is, you know, uncomfortable. I don't like to talk about this, but to actually say, look, as gun owners, one of the primary reasons why people own firearms is because they care about other people, right? They care about their loved ones. They care about their yeah. families. They want them to be safe. So the idea that gun owners are uncaring, we're not uh, empathetic, I think is nonsense. Um but again, our backs are up because when we do start talking about this, again, the the, the anti-gunners narrative becomes, aha, well, that's why you should own a gun, right? Everything gets weaponized and politicized. So yes. how important is it to, to just have these conversations, not even on camera, but just among gun owners, just, you know, among friends at the range or at the gun store to have these conversations about and check in with your friends, check in with the people that you care about, ask them how they're doing. Ask them if they've got a you know personal safety plan. Is, is that something that Hold My Guns is working towards as well about you know building and encouraging that community? Absolutely, and it, I think that you know it's one thing to create awareness by being on camera, but the wins that that I care about are when we hear stories from people that have learned about Hold My Guns. They've learned about the safety plan, and and they they and even taken the QPR suicide prevention training. I'm an instructor for that. And where they have taken what they've learned and they have reached other gun owners with that positive message and have helped to save lives. And so even more important that what happens on camera are the conversations off camera. And I encourage people to have that hard conversation. If you think that someone that you care about is having a hard time, sit down with them and say, hey, what's going on in your life? I really care. Um, no, really, let's let's sit and talk. I've noticed that there's these changes in your life and I want you to know you can count on me. So I am, I love seeing the fruit of our work and how it is helping our firearms community to be stronger and to be more connected. So it's, it is really exciting. It, it really is. And listen, I want you to know you got an open microphone. Uh, anytime you want to have one of these on-camera conversations, you are more than welcome to come back when you've got stuff that you want to talk about and promote. Um, and I, you know, I said this when I wrote about Hold My Guns at Bearing Arms. If 
if I am ever in a position where I need to utilize these services, I'm probably not going to say anything at the time. I don't really want to advertise the fact that, hey, you know what? I don't have guns in my house at the moment. But I have no problem whatsoever stating right now that if I ever do feel like it is necessary or the best thing for me to temporarily remove my guns from my home, I would not hesitate to do so. Um, it doesn't make me anti-gun. doesn't make me anti-Second Amendment. Um, and that would not be the only thing that I would do, by the way. If it ever got to that point, that would not be the only step that I'm taking to ensure the safety of my family or my loved ones. But I am not opposed to that idea if it ever is going to be useful or beneficial. And I think that we've got to get beyond the idea that even talking about these things somehow benefits the uh, the gun control side, because I don't think that's the case. Um, we are all interested in saving lives. It is about how we go about doing it. Do you want, again, that that criminalization of a right? Do you want to uh, uh, penalize gun owners for exercising the right to keep and bear arms? Or do you want to truly help the people who need help and give them that space where they can be safe, where they can get through that moment of crisis and, and move on to better days? And Sarah Joy, again, I, I cannot thank you enough for everything that you're doing. Um, and for all of the uh, volunteers at All My Guns, this is truly an amazing organization. I am so happy to help spread the word about it and, uh, and, and offer any encouragement that I can for you to keep on keeping on. I hope that 2024 is a great year for you. Thank you, Cam. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed talking with you today. Absolutely. And uh, we will be doing this again soon. I promise. I'm going to bug you to come back on, if nothing else. So holdmyguns.org. Thank you so much for your time today. My thanks to Sarah Joy for joining us on the program today, as well as, again, for the work that she and all of the folks at Hold My Guns are doing. Uh, if you want more information, again, just check them out, holdmyguns.org. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our recidivist report, our good deed of the day. We'll start with our recidivist report. I told you it is absolutely infuriating. Here you go. Here's the headline from uh, the Twin Cities. Unlicensed motorist pleads guilty to hitting and killing Burnsville priest riding a bike the cleric was struck while riding a bicycle in Rosemount in 2021. And according to authorities, the person that struck this motorist um, did not have an active driver's license. In fact, Trajan Daryl Curry, 28 years, age, uh, 28 years of age, had previously been convicted nine times for driving without a license before he hit Reverend Dennis Keith Dempsey as the 73-year-old priest was riding his bike in the shoulder of a, a rural road back on uh, October 25th of 2021. Dempsey had served the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis for 41 years. He was a newly installed priest of the Church of the Risen Savior in Burnsville. Uh, court records show that Curry continued to drive without a license after he was charged in Dempsey's death and released from jail on a $75,000 bond with conditions. He was cited again for driving after revocation in September of last year after he was caught on a surveillance camera driving away from the Dakota County Courthouse in Hastings following a hearing on the criminal vehicular homicide gross negligence charge. Yeah, he drove away in a car he wasn't allowed to drive after going to a hearing for the vehicular manslaughter charge that he was facing. And what happened in all of this? Well, he was allowed to plead guilty. And after pleading guilty to the death of the priest, prosecutors agreed to a stayed prison sentence, up to five years probation, and a 150-day jail sentence, which could be served in 30-day increments annually during his probation. So he'll do 150 days in jail, less than six months behind bars, over a five-year period, right? 30 days at a time, and I'm sure he's going to get time for 
you know, good behavior, things of that nature, and, but mostly probation. You know, we hear gun control activists talk all the time. Uh, they say, well, uh, you've heard this argument. I know you've heard this argument. Well, you have to have a driver's license. Why shouldn't you be licensed to uh, own a gun? Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, driving a car is not a right. But secondly, what happens if you're caught driving a car without a driver's license? You're not facing felony charges. You don't go to prison for five years. You don't lose your right to drive forevermore. Again, not a right to begin with, but you don't lose your ability to drive forevermore. Nothing happens. You get a slap on the wrist. You can kill a man while you're driving without a license, and you will not face as much time behind bars as you would face in, say, Michigan for simply possessing a firearm in public without a concealed carry license. That's messed up. That is the status quo in Minnesota. And unfortunately, in this case, it means that uh, Trajan Daryl Curry is going to be out and about, perhaps behind the wheel of a car, even after pleading guilty to criminal vehicular homicide. Now, today's Armed citizen story from Denver, Colorado, where a father shot an attempted robbery suspect who opened fire on his family in a museum parking lot. Now, museums are one of these sensitive places in states like California, New York, right? Uh, one of the many locations where we are told we don't need a firearm to protect ourselves. We're better off not having a firearm to protect us because these are sensitive locations, right? Colorado doesn't have this restriction, thankfully. But if this had happened in California under the uh, rules that are in place, thanks to the Ninth Circuit, um, either this family would have been defenseless in the face of an armed robber or dad would be facing charges for bringing his gun into a gun-free zone and using it to protect his family. Uh, this happened at the Denver Museum of Nature and Sciences parking lot. Now, remember, in California, not only are museums primitive places, but the parking lots of these sensitive places are also no-go zones for gun owners as well. Uh, that suspect who allegedly shot at a family in the parking lot of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science is now facing multiple charges of attempted murder. The dad who fired back not facing any charges at all. The shooting happened New Year's Eve around 2.45 in the afternoon. Uh, officers responded to the parking lot of the museum after receiving a report of a robbery. When they got there, they found several shell casings, bullets, vehicles that appeared to have been uh, hit by gunshots. They also found a victim and his family. They were able to ask him what happened. Uh, according to Channel 7 in Denver, the victim told police he was driving with his family, including his girlfriend and their two kids. They pulled into the parking lot. He was changing his shirt as they got ready to go into the museum. He did have his concealed carry firearm in his waistband. He then saw two people quickly approach him. He told police that they had handguns. He could see that they had extended magazines. The guns were drawn, pointed at him. They also ran up to his girlfriend, again, while armed. The man said that he feared for the life of his family. He said the suspects grabbed him and told him to give them the silver chain around his neck. One of the suspects then hit him in the back of the head. He said he believed the man hit him with the butt of the handgun. The father then pulled his gun from the waistband, pointed at the two suspects, that's when one of the suspects opened fire, shooting at the man several times. One round hit the uh, rear passenger side of the vehicle. man told police he fired back at the suspects who then fled northbound on foot, fired an additional round of the family as they ran. Uh, nobody in the family, thankfully, struck by gunfire. Witnesses said the suspects got into a vehicle and then uh, drove away eastbound. Shortly afterwards, police were alerted that a person had walked into a hospital with a gunshot wound about six minutes after this uh, robbery took place. Uh, that person identified as a, a 21-year-old uh, suspect, uh, Oscar Alejandro Mendoza, um, according to authorities, um, 
car similar to the suspect vehicle that dropped two people off of the hospital and continued away from the hospital. One of those two people wearing clothes that matched the surveillance footage from the uh, shooting scene of the museum. The other person fled the hospital before police arrived. Mendoza was uh, medically unresponsive due to his injuries. He remained in police custody at Denver Health. Uh, once he is discharged from the uh, hospital, he will face four counts of attempted first-degree murder, two counts of felony menacing, one count of attempted aggravated robbery. And again, the man who defended his family, not expected to face any charges. But thankfully, this happened in a place where museums and the parking lots that are attached to them are not gun-free zones. Because if that had been the case, again, wouldn't have stopped the criminals, right? May have just ensured that they had uh, uh, unarmed and defenseless targets to choose from. Thankfully, that wasn't the case here in Denver. All right, finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. A, a neighbor in St. Louis, Missouri, who came to the aid of a woman and her son who were escaping from a, a man who had basically held them hostage. Uh, according to police in St. Louis, a 35-year-old woman and her 10-year-old son were being held um, by her ex-boyfriend late uh, last Wednesday, but they were able to escape during the overnight hours. They knocked on their neighbor's door, Marquita Lewis. She said uh, he was serious. He was trying to get him. Her uh, doorbell camera captured the uh, moment showing the suspect trying to actually follow the mom and her son into Lewis's home. The 21-year-old suspect was holding the two against their will, according to authorities, hit the woman in front of the boy before they managed to run away. Uh, Marquita Lewis says, I'm happy I woke up to save her and the child because there was no telling what he would have done. She looked back. She saw him. And that's when we ran in. Lewis said a second later, we got in the house. He pushed the door. I'm happy I locked it. As of last report, officers are still looking for the man. He has been charged with assault, kidnapping, as well as violating an order of protection. Which, you know, we've talked about this before with uh, folks like Nikki Gozer. I would never, ever discourage anybody from taking out an order of protection. But please don't think that it is a suit of armor. It is a piece of paper. It may help you legally if somebody, uh, the subject of this order of protection, violates it. There may be consequences, but that will not stop. That piece of paper will not stop somebody who is committed to doing you harm from carrying out that attack. Thankfully, in this case, the woman and her son had a neighbor that they could run to. They had that additional help to keep them safe. But uh, I hope. That going forward, um, she is now not just relying on the kindness of her neighbors, uh, but is taking steps to ensure that she can protect herself and her son from her abusive ex if he shows up once again and violates another order of protection. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. But don't forget to check out BarionArms.com. In the meantime, we're keeping you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. And if you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member as well. We're doing our, uh, well, by the time you see this, our weekly live chat will have concluded. Ed Morrissey out today, but uh, Barion Arms contributor Ryan Petty joining us for this week's VIP Gold live chat. We do it every Wednesday, 1.30 Eastern. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you can't join us live, you can always catch it on demand, but it's always great to have you a part of the conversation. If you want to be a VIP or VIP gold member, just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your membership. As our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive content like those VIP gold live chats, but also VIP stories each and every day at bearingarms.com because your support really does matter and it truly does make a difference. So thank you again 
We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.